song, a book, and a dish. On 702. Yeah, it's 14 minutes to 6. It's that time of the week when we spend some time with somebody who we've probably interviewed before, somebody you certainly know about, and we ask them to pick a song and a book and a favorite dish and we use that as a way of trying to get to know them in different ways and get to know them a little bit better my guest is an author is a prominent doctor is somebody who's campaigned around issues of reproductive health and sexual health and sexual pleasure indeed and has been a lecturer in various parts of South African academic life. She's currently with the United Nations where she is uh, a special rapporteur on the rights of everyone to the enjoyment of the highest possible standards of physical and mental health. Dr. Tlaleng Mufukeng, welcome to 702 Drive. How are you? Doing well, thanks, and I hope you are well too. I, I want to ask you this question. I suppose we're going to go to the middle of your life and link it back to your early days. You're the author of a work, Dr. T, A Guide to Sexual Health and Pleasure. Did, did you grow up in a household where there was open conversation about these kinds of things? I did. And I think for many years, I thought it was just how everyone's households were until I got to boarding school, actually, and realized then um, that a lot of my friends were asking me to ask my mom a lot of the questions around, you know, their own bodies and changing bodies and relationships and being asked out about, you know, with boys and how to break up with boys. Um, you know, asking me to ask my mom because they couldn't ask their own parents some of these questions. And that's when I actually started to think, okay, maybe my mom is a little different because she's that cool mom that all the kids, you know, um, can and feel free to, to tell all of these things too. So indeed I did, um, grow up in that household, including my own aunts, by the way, um, who, who were quite loud and, and used to laugh, you know, from, from the core of their bellies. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and your th- you you had three brothers in the household as well. Would would they re- reflect on that period of growing up in in the same way? Was it uh, a particular connection between the women in the family? They did, um, and you know, I, I I tell a particular story often when I I was giving birth in hospital, and because my son decided to come early. I was obviously unprepared and, and I was at work and had to leave and go to to the hospital for an emergency C-section. And the nurses were horrified when they realized that the family member that I had said to them would come um, after shopping for all of the necessities that I needed was actually a man and he was my brother mm-hmm. because they had been on the phone, you know, next to me when I had told him all the things that I need, including very personal a product for hygiene and menstruation and all of these things. And they were quite shocked and horrified that it turned out to be a man and, and my brother. So yes, we've been quite open. And I think for me, it's been important that, um, you know, I grew up in a household where I know what sibling support and love and, and, and that comforting space can really look like where boy children are not separated from the experiences of just normal. Um, being of, of being right. human and physiology of being human and being a young girl. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, uh, uh, in summary, if you can, Dr. Mofokeng, what, what does your United Nations work involve? Because it must be very interesting for you. I would assume some of your experiences, uh, in the past before you took this job would have had an international dimension, but you're having to engage with these issues, not just across the many cultures of one country, uh, but the many cultures of many countries. 
Absolutely. And the work is very interesting, like you said, Dr. John, but some of the work um, that I do as a mandate holder is contributing to legislative reforms, improving access to mechanisms of redress uh, where people in different countries or even individuals or groups of people can write to the mandate directly to put up forward allegations of human rights abuses or violations, whether either past or historical, right. ongoing or any potential violations I'm also contributing to governmental and judicial processes. And you know um, one such example of Casta Semenya and how uh, my mandate has been supporting her in that um, case with Switzerland and the world governing bodies in in athletics, but also raising human rights awareness and setting the standards on human rights. And Mm. recently, um, you know, using human rights and digital health as an example of how I've been doing reports to assist the international human rights system understand human rights and digital health in care. So let's let's go back to the much much younger uh, Tlaleng Mamello Primary <laughs> School in Kwatkwa. Well, what, what kind of kid were you? Were you were you good in school? Uh, were, did you get involved in uh, extracurricular activities? Give us a sense of you at 11, 12, 13. That is when I had to be good in school. My mother was a teacher, okay? okay. So, if anyone knows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> having a, my, a parent who's a teacher in the household comes yes. um, even stricter than most. And I, I did have some of my best times in that primary school. I mean, some of one of my best friends to this day, Amapeku, is from that primary school at that time. But I remember very much, you know, um, that time in the early, late 80s in Kwatwa, in, in you know, at the time where Bantustan segregated under apartheid South Africa, just growing, our, growing up and, and having been used to military vehicles and that, that presence of the military and being policed, you know, um, and still finding joy, though, as children, even in those circumstances and in that atmosphere, but I'll never forget one particular memory that I have, and it must have been one UN or UNICEF or some helicopter dropping, right. um, you know, toothpaste and toothbrushes for us in the school field, um, which was unkept. Um, we didn't have extra murals, by the way. And so I think for me, a lot of what I did get as, um, you know, development and stimulation and extra mural did come from the fact that my mom had, um, you know, teaching background, but she was also just interested in making sure that my us as children but our neighborhood yes. children um you know had all of these support as well yeah so we'll come to your book in a moment it's it, it's Custis Semenya's uh, autobiography the race to be myself and some of our listeners will recall that uh you came on to talk about your role uh working with her as she again battles the courts in Europe but in earlier parts of your life, uh, were there a lot of books around? And if so, what kind of books uh, were grabbing your attention? You know, that is when I got in so much trouble when I was little. I used mm-hmm. to know how to do my mom's signature, right? So I would order <laughs> the books on the mailing. <laughs> yes. And then take, um, the, I don't know the, the, how the billing worked, but my mother used to get billed and she would get these hordes and hordes of books coming through the post office from Reader's Digest to children's uh, magazines to, to, um, you know, the plays and the stories. And because it was books and it was educational, she really couldn't punish me as, as yes. harshly as I think she would have otherwise. But I really did enjoy reading and I loved the, the, the possibilities and the imagination and the space, um, that reading provided. 
um, that, um, you know, the, the imagination and that you knew that there was more to life than just what I was experiencing every single day. And I think yeah. that's why for me, it's such an important exercise um, and that I encourage even my own children um, at the very basic, we are reading and everything else is supplementing the reading. But yeah. at first we are reading. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, and, and let's go to Custer's book now, The Race to Be Myself. We were lucky enough to have her on the show for an hour at the time she was doing the book tour. I mean, here's somebody you know, and here's somebody whose life, certainly in its broad outlines, you also know. What did you get from the book? Because, uh, presumably there would have been all sorts of stuff there that either in, in the detail or perhaps for the first time in the telling, uh, you were learning about someone who you actually do know very well. I think for me, what I enjoyed the most that the John was that she was in charge of that particular story. Mm. And for many years, you know, many of us were saying, just say something, right? Right. And I think what she taught us in that and in the timing on when she told that story was the power of waiting and the power of patience and doing things in your own time, which has really been the power of her whole story. Yeah. And yeah. when she did that, I read the book and actually listened to the audio book because I, I wanted to also hear her voice. I wanted to hear her read it. And that gave me so much joy. And you know, there's only one way that Casta Simeja can say, I don't have time for nonsense. Only she can say it that way. Yes, yes. And to hear her say that is so powerful and so empowering that in a very self-indulgent manner, I found that that gave me so much um, to take on a lot of the obstacles that I have mm, and a lot mm. of the things that I feel are stacked up against me in the world. And it, it has been such an empowering way to think about how um, our moms and our communities and, and, and what acceptance and true unconditional love looks and feels like. And I think for her to be able to walk around in this world with everything stacked up against her, just normally as a young person, but then to have systems and organizations come at you in the way that they did at her for so long. Yes. And to still have herself and the self-sense of worth so deeply um, uh, connected to her. I think it's such a beautiful lesson for all of us. She didn't have to go through all of this violation for that to be true. But I think that she did and she's still who she is, is a powerful lesson for all of us. And that for me has been something that I will forever cherish, um, that she has let us and given us a glimpse of that of her life. We're going to start playing the music you've chosen and we'll introduce it in a moment. But very quickly, if we can, Dr. Morfo King, food, fairly straightforward choices, but boy, it sounds good. Uh, meat, bride. By one of your children, Mvelo, Salad and Pup, produced by your mom, I assume, and another of your children, Liano. Uh, has it always been simple when it comes to food with you? It's always been simple, Dr. John. The, one of the things I miss when I'm traveling is the food from home. Yes. The first thing I do when I get on a flight coming home, everyone knows what are we cooking for you when you land. And there must be pup involved and there will be a piece of meat on that plate as well. Everything else is optional extras. And my mom, Aussie's biscuits are now world famous and she makes really the most divine biscuits. But I think the meat and the pup and the bride really trumps everything else. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing with us your song, your book and your dish. We're going to play out with a piece of music uh, that you've chosen. This one is called Change Will Come by Miss Me. It's the choice of my guest, 
Dr. Tlaleng Mufukeng, thanks for sharing your time. Have yourself a wonderful weekend.